Support for Pivot comes from Vanta. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated fast. Now, you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, and that platform is Vanta. Vanta's market-leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, you can save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. To learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews, watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash pivot. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash pivot to watch Vanta's on-demand demo. Support for the show comes from Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync, so even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account so ambitious companies have the precision control and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. Hey, Scott. How are you doing today? Yeah, the question is, how are you doing? I'm getting a little bit worried here. I'm okay. I'm doing okay. Yeah? How's, yeah. This, how's San Francisco? How's Tales of, Tales of the City? Oh, it's wonderful. I love San Francisco. Everywhere we turn, we turn a corner or different part of the city, and it just looks so beautiful. And we all say, the hellscape that is San Francisco. It's, you know, hopefully it looks like people are moving back. All the restaurants are full. I am hopeful. Good. Well, just a brief a brief moment to recognize the incredible life of uh, Secretary Madam, uh, Madeleine Albright. Uh, oh, she yes. saw the U.S. as an indispensable nation when it came to using diplomacy backed by the use of force and defend democratic values around the world. Her her family fled the Nazis. Yep. Uh, she was really sort of the connective tissue or the biggest in, uh, evangelist for the importance uh, uh, of NATO. Bill Clinton said of her, few leaders have been so perfectly suited for the times in which they served. I love what she said uh, after 9-11 uh, or when she was responding to terrorist attacks. She just looked into the camera and said, uh, our memory is long and our reach is far. I just thought she was so she was great. Forceful. She defined the term forcefully yet dignified. Yeah. And she at to that point she was the most senior woman to have ever served in US government. She was a canny expert official, I have to say. Can I tell one quick story about her? Did I ever tell you the story? I I've, I've I met her a couple so. times uh, at dinner with her and stuff like that. And one time when I was at the Washington Post I was covering a dinner. I used to cover like events, like the lowest rung on the totem pole. And I, at the Shakespeare Theater here, uh, was awarding, um, an award to, uh, Patrick Stewart. Um, and she was a huge fan of his, an enormous Patrick Stewart fan. And she was Secretary of State at the time. And she came to the dinner and was at her table. I, I was seated at the same table. And, um, she was just gushing about Patrick Stewart. She was so smart. She was so funny. She was a little naughty. You know what I mean? Like she was, mm-hmm. she was really funny. And, um, she goes, let's go to the bathroom. And so, cause I was supposed to interview her for the thing. So I go to the bathroom with her and she's, I, she was shorter than me, which is hard to do. And, um, we get at the bathroom and there was a woman in, in the bathroom who was super drunk, this woman and mm-hmm. an older woman. And she looked at Madeline Albright and she goes, you go, girl. Yeah. And and Madeline Albright 
was like, thank you. She goes, I love you. I love you, Madeline Albright. You go, girl. You are always doing the right thing. You go, girl. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Madeline Albright goes, you know, thank you. I appreciate it. I really appreciate it. And the woman kept yelling, you go, girl. You go, girl. And Madeline Albright turned to her and said, thank you so much, but I really actually got to go. And she went into the booth and went to the bathroom. It was, it was so funny. She was so, she like handled it so perfectly and the diplomatically. The woman was over the moon. She charmed Patrick Stewart. She charmed the crowd. It mm-hmm. was, and had nothing to do with diplomacy or all the other things, amazing things she did. But man, did she make me laugh when she did that? It was. She was a truth teller. I remember another one of her famous statements there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. Yeah, that got her in trouble. Uh, you know what? She told it like it was. I said that to some last night. I was like, that was kind of correct. Not just women, but men too. But Bill anyway. Clinton, uh, describing her, said she was a passionate force for freedom, democracy, and human rights. That's a pretty nice thing yeah. to have a former president say about you. That's like checking a lot of boxes in terms of what it uh, is to have yeah. a meaningful life. Anyways, Madeline Albright, yeah, a agree. wonderful career of service and, and, and demonstration of strength that was fantastic for America. Um, anyway, today, BuzzFeed is trending down. We'll tell you why. And we'll talk about the Judge Jackson hearings and what our confirmation might mean for big tech. But first, Mackenzie Scott is investing in some new homes, but they're not for her. The philanthropists donated over $400 million to Habitat for Inhumanity and some of its affiliates. It's her largest donation yet. She also gave $275 million to Planned Parenthood. That's the largest single uh, donor gift that Planned Parenthood has ever received. And she still has $49 billion to go. So what do you think, Scott? Look, I, I'm incredibly impressed with the co-founder of Amazon, Mackenzie Scott. And I think she's yeah. I think she's an inspiration. And she is not only doing a lot of good for these organizations, um, but she I think she's inspired a movement uh, back or toward giving. And that is when you get to when you get to a place where you are trying to help others without recognition, yeah. without thanks, without your name being etched into the side of the building, without thoughtful meetings with the mayor of the city to talk about your views on education as a function of cashing your check. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when you get to giving and or the true meaning of giving. And she is the true meaning of giving. And I, um, I've been following this for a while. Uh, I think it's inspiring. It's inspired me. And what about how she's giving it? How she's giving it? Because a lot of these, you know, they have these massive organizations. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it's her and her husband, her, her new husband, who's a science teacher, I believe, writing checks in the living room. That's what it feels like in a lot of ways. But that, but I'm sure she has an organization, yep. but it doesn't, it's not quite as the way tech people do it. They do it like it's a tech thing or a business. No, they do it like startup. it's a transaction. They do it, they set up. They hire a bunch of people who have the right degrees from the from the right schools, and they put out RFPs, and they create bureaucracy in an organization, and then they want input because, you know, this person, by virtue of the fact they have a lot of money, has really deep, interesting thoughts on this particular problem. And she just pushes the money out there. And the thing I like about it is there's, we're talking about two high-profile organizations, Habitat for, for Humanity and Planned Parenthood. But she also gives money to like Cal State Fullerton yeah. or a, 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 a mental health crisis line for, LG, for at-risk LGBTQ youth. She really is yeah. an inspiration. And I, I've, I've taken something from her. And as always, I want to relate this back to me. You gave $400 million to someone? <laughs> 
$3.99. But I have rethought my giving. I'm being serious here. I'm trying to do more giving anonymously and talking about giving anonymously. I, I realize doesn't make it anonymous. But just pushing the money out, just cutting people checks, uh, sending up wires rather than taking the time of the organization, rather than providing your input. I'm mm -hmm. also... I, I'm committed, and I think a lot of people that feel blessed like me, I'm going to give more than I spend every year as a means of governing my out-of-control consumption. Oh, interesting. But I look at her, um, and I think, I don't want to say the other type of giving discouraged me, but I thought, okay, I give something to X organization, and then, you know, Bezos steps in and gives a billion dollars to build a clock, and you just feel yeah. like, okay. Oh, the clock donation. Yeah. You know, whatever it is. But this type of giving really is yeah. inspiring that there's no reason why you can't cut big or small checks. I bet but there's the key a big is, debate in the philanthropy community about what she's doing with what, say, the Gates Foundation, which is very targeted to solution, you know, solutions like vaccines um, or malaria, which I also sort of admire the way they did that, because they solved a problem, one single problem, which was massive in some of these countries. Um, so I kind of like that too, like pick something um, to really focus in on. Now they've had some missteps, obviously, the Gates Foundation, but it's kind of an interesting, just a completely separate approach. I just wonder what inside the philanthropy world. I'm sure they don't like it because it doesn't involve jobs and, and very, very like important conferences and get togethers. And But it, there's a there's room for both. The Gates Foundation is pioneering and trying to be an innovator. It's trying to say, okay, what is the place where we could put, you know, where's something we could do something new that we get a bigger ROI just as he approaches, I would imagine, his venture investing. And what he found, and I mm. love this about Bill Gates, was that it was um, – uh, infectious diseases in Africa, and also just to come up with a cheap uh, way of, of manufacturing and distributing right. toilets, that sanitation was a, a yeah. huge problem. And then, you know, he's an innovator. He's a very deep thinker. But you also need agility and people yeah. who just say there's some amazing organizations set up. People need homes. And this gets hate. But if you were to, I think, I don't call it the safest bet, but if you were really to think where food insecurity for children comes, where um, you're talking about at-risk youth, when you're talking about uh, civil liberties, when you're talking about um, rights. Uh, yeah, they don't give to those often. They well, uh, if you were to try and, in my view, encapsulate many of the things that we're worried about and promote as Americans, almost all of them lead right into Planned Parenthood. 100%. And people like to think of Planned Parenthood as something that's all about the termination of pregnancies. That's a very small fraction of their resources and their efforts. It's about it's about it's about health. It's about uh, spe specifically health focused on our most vulnerable women and women who just know they can go to a dependable place yep. for all types of health issues. And so this is a you know planned here. I think planned. I think there are a few organizations that are that represent more about uh, what's great about America than Planned Parenthood. Years ago, Sheryl uh, Sandberg gave a pretty significant um, gift to them, and it was like a million. It was a significant amount, and she goes. What do you think? And I said, why didn't you give 50 million? She's like, you're a jerk. I'm like, no, I'm serious. You need to really lay up like a marker if you're going to give them money, like give them real money to do something. They were at the time under siege from Congress, a Republican Congress at the time. And this is just, this says everything, this number. It's a significant number. What's interesting about her giving, from, I've talked to people she's given to, they never talk about it. They ask them not to talk about it, but they said not in a rude way. Yeah, but they don't even the know sometimes it's coming in. It just like 
they were just contacted. Just, like yeah. there was no like dating. There was no nothing. They just said, here's the money. Can we not yeah. just, I, I don't want you to talk about how we gave it to you, if you don't mind. But it was a check. It was essentially a check. I mean, they did sort of say yeah. there was no strings attached. There was no direction. That's they right. trust us. And, but there was no discussion with her. I'll tell you that she doesn't want to have a building. She doesn't want to visit the campus. She doesn't want an honorary degree. Uh, she doesn't want to appear at Davos. Um, I just, everything about her is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just think she's just, I love that she's doing this. And she still has so much money left. So we'll see. Speaking of the opposite, Nestle is cutting some of its Russia business after criticism from Ukrainian President Zelensky. The Swiss food giant will still sell baby formula to Russians, but not Kit Kats. Nestle says it will donate any profits it makes in Russia to humanitarian relief organizations. Let me just say, this is the two companies my son, who's uh, Alex, um, talks about is Nestle and Coke Industries. She, he talks about Nestle and he knows the whole history of Nestle and baby food, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is the one company that stuck out in his brain about Russia as a consumer. And he looked up what they made and didn't want to buy anything again. And he already had a bad attitude towards Nestle, uh, which I think was a good thing to have. So it's kind of interesting um, since we talked to Jeffrey Sonnenfeld about this, the pressure that's building on these companies. Yeah, and I don't, this feels like a bit of a, head fake to me that they're yeah. saying we'll donate our profits or we're spent or we're taking Kit Kat out but not the baby formula. Kit Kat is more iconic, but it's not it's probably not nearly I just don't think I think there's a lot of good excuses for not getting out of Russia and including it, right? it hurts the people. My attitude is you've got to bring so much pressure. It's got to be brute blunt force. Sanctions are supposed to replace uh, much more, much more errant, reckless uh, methods of diplomacy, which is war. Right. And you can make all sorts of excuses for why people need to have great tasting chocolate uh, or why they need baby formula. Well, Obviously, that one is I a, see why they're doing that, but go, it's, a, it's a PR win too. Uh, this is, sounds terrible. We like to think that, oh, we say we have no quarrel with the Russian people. Yeah. It's a, I believe populations have to take responsibility for their yeah. leadership. Also, guess who's killing babies in Ukraine? <laughs> So your government's doing that. It's, you know. Well, I got serious fast. I know, sorry. <laughs> I was channeling yeah. Jeffrey Sonnenfeld. You've become a Sonnenfeldian, haven't you? Oh, I love Jeffrey. I think he's doing a really important work. And and not only that, you, you, what you said is always, one of the things you said has always struck me as prescient. You're like, you're gonna leave, just leave now. <laughs> it's like, it, 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 you're gonna leave. And I think Jeff will bring a lot of pressure yeah. to bear on these organizations. I asked him to send me his list, yeah. and I publish my list on my feed every once in a while yeah. if he's still there. Yeah. There's all sorts of good excuses for why you should stay, and you know what? You should leave. You've got to, you you've got to hook them up with the products, too, so people can take action and feel individually. You know, some people said it's sort of, as you were saying, sort of virtue signaling, but not using the products is an important thing. You want to you wanna signal and any small way you can instead of feeling hopeless. And I don't, I don't agree when people say that at all. It makes me kind of crazy. Um, if like my son feels better and I think he's, he went out of his way to find out what they made, thinking about it, talking about it, reading about the history of Nestle and their very blighted history around a lot of things. Um, he made decisions and I just feel, um, it's okay to let people feel involved and hopeful in the world, um, that they can do something. Um, and he's not going to like grab a, you know, a Kalashnikov and head to Ukraine. Uh, but it's kind of an interesting, I, I think I agree with you. Just get out, just get out. Um, 
But there's you brought up a you brought up a broader notion, and that is around the the concept of virtue signaling. And I'm friendly, a former colleague at NYU, and now he's at the University of New Mexico, evolutionary anthropologist Jeffrey Miller. He he's really he he said something that really struck me, yeah. and he said virtue signaling is a good thing. And that is, if you get pride and reward from talking about something or an action you're doing that's good for the world, that means that you believe other people will be inspired by yeah. it. That means that you are saying, this is who I am, and you're more inclined to live up to those morals once you are, articulate them. And you said, I think we should do away with the notion of virtue signaling as a bad thing. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm doing the following thing. I'm proud of it. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel better about myself. And I hope that you will see that it's a good thing and that you will engage in it too. Yeah. And then you said, he, and it struck me like, well, that's okay to talk about the good yeah. stuff you're doing. And if you feel good about it, yeah. good for yeah. you. Probably maybe you spread, you smile, maybe you spread those good feelings. Um, I liked when he said, and I say this to a lot of people, that, uh, such as yourself, that accuse me, being woke. He goes, it's better than being asleep. That's what I say to people. What are you asleep? Oh, that's good. See, good. Oh my gosh. Being asleep. You got us there. And then you have to add, no, but the woke bullshit, the fake news bullshit, stop with the words. You're, it means you have no argument. If you call someone woke, mm. you have no argument. Mm. You have no argument. So you have to use mm. dumb, dumb, shortcut words. That's what my teacher- stand. No, you're wrong. Wokistan. You're wrong. Yeah. I, I, it's not because I love San Francisco. It's There's so many, yeah, anyway. I'm not going to argue with you. Uh, anyway, the AA, speaking You're of which, triggered. the AARP yeah. is launching its own social network just for Scott Galloway. The new Hello. network is called Senior Planet Community, um, free for users, no advertising. Mm -hmm. uh, interesting, interesting. So I'm excited about this. Yeah. I went on. My username is prostateitis. Uh, I thought so. And it's, what's really interesting is when you go on, they ask you, the first thing they do is they um, give you a survey. And the first question, like they, they have, they intersperse jokes. And one of the questions yeah. was boxers or briefs, which I thought was really funny. Oh, really? Going back to the commercial, like the those moments when they asked Obama. And you know what I answered? What? Depends. Oh, yeah. That's good humor. Oh, my God. That's good incontinence humor from the oh, AARP. my God. Get it? Depends? I heard you. Depends? I'm not laughing. I spent the day with my brother yesterday who tells just as many dumb and dirty dad jokes as you do. Just so Dr. You know. Swisher? He did. D. Swisher? He took my son to see uh, Stanford where he went uh, for college. They biked around. Wow. That's super impressive that, you're, that your son's even thinking about it. I know. Well, super it's a reach. But he could, he's got straight A's. So and he's got he's wow. sports and um and he's uh and he's got lots of interesting hobbies that he actually does and not for the benefit of college people. So I they'd have to widen the streets and enlarge the dorms. That would cost tens of millions of dollars in infrastructure. I know, and we're gonna go look at Berkeley today. That's where we want Vanilla LeBron. I don't. I, I think he lo he loves California. He's so happy here. Uh, so I think he may end up in California. I hope so. Why wouldn't he? Those are all great institutions. Those are yeah. the the finest public school in the world. Berkeley yeah. and the school that gets more applications, get this, the school that gets more applications than any university in the world, UCLA. Yeah. He's going to look at USC and, uh, and the Claremont no, Colleges. No, 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 no. That'll put a huge strain on our relationship. All right. Okay. Anyway, let's get to our first big story. Things are not clicking at BuzzFeed. The company laid off workers at Complex and BuzzFeed Video. Employees at BuzzFeed News were offered voluntary buyouts, and the news division lost three top editors. Uh, this is such a sad story to me because I got to say, having BuzzFeed stole a lot of my employees when I had uh, when I was running Recode and all things, I think, and all things D. And I have to say, it was such an interesting and ch uh, 
place that really produced a lot of amazing news, did a lot of innovative things. They certainly spent a lot of money because they outspent me a lot. Um, but it was a really, I feel, I feel bad about this story. I want this to work, not just because we're at Vox and we have a similar business, but I always had such, um, I was always in such admiration of all the interesting things they were trying in journalism. What thinks you? Uh, you're right. It, it's more of a marker on our society, and that is that the bottom line is we're moving towards a society where rich Republicans buy football teams and rich Democrats buy, buy news organizations because news organizations, bottom line, are shitty businesses. And if you look at BuzzFeed, I mean, first off, it's got a $600 million market cap. It's down, it's off at least 50% since its yeah. IPO, which describes the majority of growth companies that have gone public now in the last 24 months. Yeah. But I mean, things like Open Door or Robinhood are worth eight, you yeah. know, four billion, nine billion. And this company's worth businesses. Worst and this company's worth six hundred million. Yeah. And they want, I don't know if you saw, but and if you look at BuzzFeed, it's actually they've done a good job. They have commerce revenue, they have sponsored yeah. uh, custom publishing. They get and then they have their online um their online display revenue. What what is not working, unfortunately, what just doesn't work is the newsroom. Yes. Yes. And yeah. it's wasn't it, that much money. It was ten it loses ten million dollars. That seemed small. Yeah, but on a me. company that's 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 yeah. gotta be profitable and is only doing thirty million in EBITDA, it's like, well, you can yeah. increase your EBITDA by you know, a third. What's this market cap now? It's about six hundred six hundred and fifty million, but my guess remember is Remember when it was five billion to Disney? Do you remember that? They they decided not to buy it. Oh, this thing for the last ten years. I mean, it's just yeah. I'm on the board of a company called OpenWeb that helps. It's yeah. a piece of software that manages the comment section to get greater engagement. We're yeah. now worth more than BuzzFeed because it's yeah. a software technology-driven organization that takes existing media and helps monetize yeah. it. But if you're in the mm -hmm. business of creating media other than streaming, yeah. and by the way, streaming is yeah. about to get the shit kicked out of it, I think. But if you're in the business of original content or a media company online – just yeah. tough. It's just really, really yeah, a hard Yeah, the fourth business. core revenue increased 18%, but as Scott said, earnings dropped 12% to $34 million, really, uh, which which caused Wall Street to go crazy ass, thought that Jonah Peretti, who's running it, should shut down the news division. Um, is this the last time a digital media company will go public? Probably not, but what do you think? No, there'll be something, but this shouldn't have been a public company. If you're kind of sub a billion and you're subject to this sort of scrutiny and shareholder pressure... I think they would have been stay private. Well, stay private or sell to uh, a bigger company, a bigger, a bigger sister, so to speak. Uh, I just yeah. companies like this, the distraction, the cost, it costs two to five million dollars a year just to be a public company. Yeah. And that hits your bottom line right there. So, I mean, for example, I, I believe a bigger, you know, a, a bigger media company or even a finance company or a payments company, excuse me, is going to come in and probably buy Vox. Because here's what you have with media companies. You have tremendous engagement, you have tremendous goodwill, you have tremendous attention, but it all sits on top of the world's shittiest business model and it's called competing with yeah. Google or Facebook. Be that business model. Please explain. Well, if you're, I mean, say you're Binance or say you're, Christ, yeah. I don't know, uh, uh, Coinbase or, or say you're Block. The fact that you could get so many people, maybe um, you could have so much content around finance and news and yeah. do push notifications to people based on your payments and just get more people on your platform to say, all right, I see. it's the content component of this company, right? And we're going to focus on finance. We're going to focus on news. But when you're on 
Coinbase, you get so public the the investment app um, I'm involved with. It's really a social yeah. network, so and it, it feeds you more you stuff. And they don't news. want shitty content, right? Which is what you see yeah, when, when I look content. at Fidelity when I go on there. It's kind of shitty content, right? It's not very good. Well, that's exactly right. But even talking about valuations, Kara, yeah. public based on our last round of financing, is now worth more than BuzzFeed. So they wouldn't yeah. do it, but if I, there are no shortage of literally $10, $20, 30000000000 billion Interesting. payment companies that could come in. Are and, you advising people to do this? Are you an advisor? Uh, I'm advising big companies to do something very similar, but not on this, these specific names. But think about it. Yeah. You know, a, a, just an example, a Twitter could come in and have a really robust yeah. Additional content for less than a two yeah. percent dilution. This thing is so yeah. cheap now. So, what you have yeah. with media is fe- media is being featureized, just like movies, just like hundred percent. That's the right analogy. I, I told you, I said it to one of the producers of Amazon uh, Video, um, Jill Soloway, who made Transparent, which sort of put Amazon Prime Video on the map. And I said, "You're there to sell toilet paper. You understand, right?" Like, she was like this yeah. and this. I was like, you know, just like in the old days, like whoever, GE Theater or sponsored by Soap Suds or whatever, that's what you, whatever it is, you're there for Apple to sell iPhones. You're there for Amazon to sell this, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, mm-hmm. it's interesting. It's sad because, you know, BuzzFeed won a Pulitzer, so many good reporters, so much good journalism, even yeah. though I we all made fun of them for their lists and everything else. But they, they produced some astonishing journalism in their time. But look at them all, Kara. At Axios, Quartz, they're all, uh, they all do, in my opinion, they all do a great job. They all have what I call, to all of the negative externalities of Google and Facebook, these companies have really positive yeah. externalities. They've done some great work. They've brought us news we wouldn't have known about without them. And guess what? It's a shitty business. Yeah, well, speaking of which, and another, their former editor-in-chief, who actually kind of made it that way, Ben Smith, revealed the name of his new venture with Justin Smith, who left Bloomberg. It's called Semaphore. Not what I was expecting. Yeah, S-E-M-A, you know, Semaphore. That's That, that sounds like if you're, you're, you read Strunk and White and then you want to talk dirty. Yeah, exactly. Don't you think so? Right. They said it was a word that would work in 35 languages. And I, and of course, one of those words is soup. So I wrote a tweet at Ben Smith saying, Oh, for love of God, I hope it's soup. Um, because that's a word that Mm. a lot of people around the world know. Um, and, and Mm. then when he called it semaphore, I said for the, I did a semaphore, you know, some was spelled a different way. And I said, you know, Mm. what the fuck for the love of chicken soup did you do here? Like essentially. Um, but I, I don't understand the name. What do you think, Brand or Mr. Brand, Brand Consultant? Uh, so first off, in branding or marketing, the hardest yes. thing is naming because everything's taken. And uh, you, what you want is you just want basics. At, at a minimum, you want something where a the URL is available. Yes, I'm so aware. you want something that's easy to say, pronounce, and spell. And then, and then ideally, you want something that connotes something about you know, the associations you're trying to build or says something about the business you're in, naming is a nightmare. I'm aware. I've, I've named, I named Pivot. I named Land of the Giants, I think, at Vox. I named Pivot. I named Pivot. Named no, Pivot. it's a great name. I also named Code and I named All Things D, which I didn't like as much. Code is good. All Things D is good. Pivot. And I named Sway. That Times did not want to do Sway, but I did not understand this one. I got to tell you. We should have been Zoo Media. The jungle cat right, and the dog. True. So they're reportedly trying to raise 20 to $30 million to launch the publication. 
I'm sure they're visiting Singapore and the Saudis, etc. Would BuzzFeed News be dealing with these same issues under Ben Smith? They say they're avoiding venture mm-hmm. capital, instead seeking investments from wealthy individuals, like Monal- Monocle does that also, if you call. Mm-hmm. Uh, Smith's plan is to reportedly go all in on the 2024 election, Scott, which is interesting. That worked for him at Politico in 2008, but the media, it's, it's a crowded environment. Um, how will Semaphore stand out? I think it's going to be fascinating. And I think what you're going to start to see, which I think is going to be hilarious, I think you're going to start to see Vice President Harris and Secretary Buttigieg go on off the record and start yeah. needling at oh, each other. Because yeah. I think they're the two ones from the from yeah. the, from the yeah. cabinet, if you yeah. will. Um, but I think it's, they're already – look at – I mean, you already see it all yeah. shaping up. DeSantis is already trying to distance himself from Trump. He's trying to pull a young kid. Everybody is. Mel- Bo Brooks just did. Jeez Louisa. Did you see that? Yeah, but he's such a. I did see I, that. You know, it's like it's like one villain turning on another. I they're all awful. I don't care. Well, you know who's really hurt all these folks is the um, the invasion of Ukraine because all of a sudden people are like all these people who looked up to Putin. They're realizing that this this is the definition of toxic masculinity. Yeah. In any case, what th- would you do if you you and I were raising twenty to thirty million dollars to launch a publication? We would do. Look, what would it, you think? The, what we need is another two hundred. It's just. To do this well, to do this, to do, uh, you were talking about actual journalism. Uh, one of us needs to become a billionaire first and then everything will work out. They, I, I'm telling you, these companies, other than the ones that really establish unbelievable depth and brand and global presence and innovation around digital, such as the New York Times, the Washington Post, sort of. I'd love to see the, you know, I wonder what the numbers there are. I think they've probably hemorrhaged money, but it doesn't matter because... It's the basically the likability shield for the wealthiest man in the world or the second wealthiest man in so the world. So do you think it'll work? What would we do besides being a billionaire? We think we have no other choice. You cannot be a media company. But I'm going to have to have you assess yeah. uh, Vox then. They've stayed private. They're, I think, marginally profitable. What? They did some mergers. What? What do well, you do? First off, this is, this is part of a 40-year trend. The evening yeah. news used to be a public service from the broadcast network who felt that, okay, we're making so much money running ads for Tang during the Partridge family that we got to spend some money and bring you the evening news. And then and then folks saw a profit, a profit motive if they went 24 hours. Then in order to keep you engaged, they started making it more opinion and novelty than news. And slowly but surely, hardcore news and journalism became – so expensive to do well and so much bad news was available for free that the entire industry, just the news industry has become a public good as opposed to a business. Uh, so I don't, I, I I think the prospects, I think sometimes it's darkest before it's pitch black. I think it only gets worse. Vox, I think is a little bit different and we're talking our own book because we're shareholders, but it's sort of established it has established just a ton of momentum in what is one of the few uh, ad-supported mediums that's growing, and that is podcasts. And just by virtue of some of the personalities in the audience we get, we get kind of premium rates. I don't think we should be public, but someone will, someone will absolutely swoop in and, and buy this for a reasonable price. Yeah. Jim's been very smart to me. Not He doesn't jump at every <clears> – I always complain to him about that, but I have to say there's some He's wisdom. measured. He's very He's measured. measured. He's measured. Yeah. Jim Bankoff, that is. Jim measured. Yeah, Jim Bankoff. Cool. Anyway, Scott, we're going to go on a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Judge Jackson hearings and take a listener mail question about student housing. 
Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on-brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Okay, Scott, we're back with our second big story. Judge Jackson's confirmation hearings are over after some very long days. Um, as usual, the senators did most of the talking and general buffoonery from the Republican Party. But Judge Jackson had some things to say when it came to antitrust. Here's her exchange with Senator Klobuchar. How would you characterize the goals of our antitrust laws? The antitrust laws protect competition and, as you said, um, therefore protect consumers and competitors and the economy as a whole. She added the word competitors because anti Trust law is usually based around consumers. So everyone was reading the tea leaves. It could be notable that she added that. I I noticed it myself. Um, It could be about Amazon, Google. She left herself open. And she is reportedly friends with Jonathan Cantor. Um, Both of them send their kids to a school that my kids have have gone to and one who goes there, um, which is Georgetown Day School, which um, Mm -hmm. they were talking about critical race theory, uh, Ted Cruz, as usual. Uh, sticking, you know, as as the persistent chode that he is, um, started to attack the curriculum at Georgetown Day, but it wasn't in the curriculum. It was on some website for resources. Um, and of course, his own school in Houston, where his kids go, had the same books on them. He kept holding up books about anti-racist babies. But in any case, in the tech area, the judge also answered questions about Section 230. Um, Senator Mike Lee asked if Congress could strip 230 protections from a tech company that was censoring political speech. Here's what Judge Jackson said. The criteria that you identify, the, the, it would be relevant, I think, as to whether or not the government is uh, seeking to regulate along uh, viewpoint lines under the First Amendment. That is something that is um, generally impermissible. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. She kind of shot him down because... She was trying to say that she would let tech companies censor political speech. They, of course, have no speech. This is one of the Republican talking points about tech companies. There's no proof. They just say it over and over again. And certainly if there was proof, it would be a big problem. 
But what do you think about this? I thought the Senate came up. I thought this this hearing in this process really lost here because when I listen to Senator Blackburn's comments and Senator Cruz's comments, it just feels like they're trying to create get an emotional reaction at a far right potential donors as opposed to really having a dialogue around the qualifications of the yeah, judge. Yeah, she said that. You know, they would she say that actually. They would say, you know, they kept saying child porn and to try and, you know, I'm protecting you from child porn about asking a judge yeah. ridiculous questions around her decisions around this, you know, this topic. They, I also, quite frankly, on this side, I thought Senator Booker's constant rambling on about how proud he was was very performative. Yeah. It's like, Jesus Christ, ask a fucking question. I think like, he's like that. I have to tell you. He's very, he does speeches like that all the time. But anyway, I agree. It, it had nothing to do with her qualifications, which are myriad. I thought Senator Durbin was outstanding cloud cover mm. for her. He would clarify things just yeah. to say, just for the record, this is what has actually right. happened. Senator Kay, as always, like shows up and actually does the work. And it, it, rather than talking about what an inspiring moment it is, and it is to have the first black woman sit on the Supreme Court, public high school education. Ivy League Law yeah. School, Supreme Court clerking, public defender on the Sentencing Commission, a district judge, and also on the Court of Appeals. Just impressive. How many people, how many sitting Supreme Court justices tick all those boxes? None of them. None of them, except the one, right, Judge Jackson, who hopefully yeah. is going to be confirmed. So distinctive, distinct, distinctive what a nice, important moment this is for the country yeah. on, on several dimensions. She's just ridiculously fucking qualified. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. They, they tried to push back that the Brett Kavanaugh hearings became a circus. But, you know, look, they got nothing on her in this thing. This whole CRT thing was ridiculous. Um, my son, Louis, joked, see, mom, I told you we went to a CRT indoctrination academy. It just was, they, everyone understood what a, what, how ridiculous so much of this was. Well, they're promoting a book burning. They're like, we found yeah. this book in your library. Yeah. I'm like, you know, that yeah. kind of language no, goes very in ugly Cruises, places. Cruises, kids' schools, library. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, but th this stuff around tech was interesting. Um, at 2.30, Supreme Court could take action. Clarence Thomas wants uh, a 2.30 case. Um, he's previous and the government should regulate social media like common carriers, which is... Uh, Interesting. That would be interesting. Uh, that's the government regulating speech, FYI, which is not allowed under the First Amendment, as Judge Jackson so correctly noted. Um, Jackson's recent opinion in tech, the other stuff, was a, a, a ruling against Uber in a case involving alleged discrimination against users in wheelchairs. Uh, Uber had asked for the case to be dismissed, arguing that Uber platform was just a conduit between passengers and drivers. Judge Jackson disagreed and let the case move forward. Uh, I like that. I would agree with her on that one. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce hasn't weighed in on Judge Jackson's nomination, which is interesting. It endorsed all three of Trump's nominees to the Supreme Court. Um, go U.S. Commerce, because qualifications mean nothing. Um, the Judiciary Committee is going to vote on the nomination on April 4th, which seems a million years away, but let's hope it just goes through pretty easily. Um, and then we'll see what happens. But I don't think they put a, a glove on her. I thought they were incredibly disrespectful to a woman of color who is so eminently qualified that she could run circles around them every day of the week and twice on Sunday. And let me just say, Ted Cruz couldn't do, he couldn't like eat the scraps of her law knowledge. He, he doesn't, you know, I think he's a lawyer, but oh, it's just, it's an unqualified and terrible person uh, qual uh, judging uh, someone who is 
it was so far above him as to be Mount Everest. So I don't know. What do you think? My biggest fear here, Kara, yeah. is all of a sudden, under the notion of centrism, some some narcissist Democratic senator who shall remain nameless is going to pop oh. up and say they have concerns. I don't think that's going to happen. No, that is my biggest fear be. here. So hopefully yeah. this just happens crisply and violently. And we yeah, they tried done. to anti, you know, she was against police. That didn't work. They tried yeah. a bunch no, of no, things. Everything's deflected off of her. Nothing's Yeah, one of the centrist senators said it was all bullshit what the Republicans were doing. So mm -hmm. I don't think they even tried very hard, except for Ted Cruz, who seems to be in a different narrative than the rest of the world. Anyway, let me just say something, Ted Cruz. No one wants you to be president. Everyone dislikes you from way back in high school, actually. Um, and in fact, write essays about how much they dislike you. Anyone I talk to in the U.S. Senate hates you. Whatever side they're on, just, ugh, I hope you get defeated at some point. Um, and go the way of Rick Santorum, where you have a CNN contract and you get to blather on. But no one will like you there either. Anyway, Okay, Scott, let's uh, pivot to a listener question. You've got, you've got, I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. You, you, you've got mail. Hey, Scott. Hey, Kara. This is Nicole Coomber. I'm faculty at the business school at the University of Maryland. Listening to your discussion about Berkeley was really interesting because we had a recent dust up over some housing in College Park where they wanted to build some graduate student housing, which is in short supply, and the homeowners were able to convince students that um, it was an environmental issue. Also, just kind of curious what your thoughts on uh, what, you know, how asynchronous and online education fits into this, especially if it's done by these bigger universities like the University of Maryland. Thanks. Love the show. Uh, Y'all are great. Bye. Okay, Scott, this is interesting. In California, Governor Newsom signed a bill that removed a court-ordered cap to enrollment at Berkeley. Scott, I'm going to let you take this one away. I, I live near, I don't live near College Park. I have a lot of friends whose kids go there. Great university, beautiful campus, beautiful area around it. What thinks you? Uh, higher ed is the tip of the spear for our society, for America. Yeah. And do we want our society to be a rejectionist culture that affords incredible opportunities to two co cohorts, the children of rich people or to the freakishly remarkable? Mm -hmm. Or do we want it to be uh, a great place for good kids to establish remarkable trajectory in their, their professional lives yeah. and also their own spiritual? And uh, when you when you graduate from college— you become less likely to have a heart attack. You become yeah. more likely to get married. You yeah. become more likely to have children. You become less likely to suffer from severe depression. It's as if we have this miracle pharmaceutical and the 10 most prestigious or the 100 most prestigious pharmaceutical companies have decided, you know, we're going to limit access yeah. to this pharmaceutical. And we play into this notion on a much broader scale with a scarcity economy that says, once I have a big business, I'm going to spend all yes. my time trying to suppress the entry of other new businesses. Once I have a house, I'm going to try and make it harder for anyone else to build a house. Once I have a degree from a great institution, I'm going to try and make it harder for anyone behind me. We have to bust out of that. And the fact that they've weaponized kids at universities that, quite frankly, are severely woke. Oh, no. Better than asleep. Okay, kids, good for you. You're just making it harder for the people who didn't get in. Don't blame the kids. Don't you dare blame the kids. This is the homeowners. Uh, okay, homeowners who have figured out a way to tap into Thank you. Uh, a, a narrative and an orthodoxy that's run amok on campuses. But anyways, oh this is... 
This is, we need to absolutely flip the script here. We need to take our finest universities. We're great at media. We're great at software. We're great at weapons. We're great at higher ed. We need to bust out of this rejectionist nimbyism scarcity culture. There's a huge opportunity to expand these. And it goes to her second point around asynchronous versus synchronous learning. I predicted in that New York Magazine article that the best universities were going to leverage the advances in online learning to dramatically expand their enrollments and consolidate the market, and I could not have been more wrong. They have doubled down on their exclusivity and recognize the only way we can continue to charge people $62,000 a year is for the full Dead Poet Society experience, so we're not going to have as much online learning. You have to be back on campus, and here's the thing. They all say, well, we don't have the capacity Uh, It's a space issue. And guess what? If you take half your sessions online, I'm not talking about classes online, but half the sessions. And I can sit in any class and tell you which sessions you should take online where there's a lot of interaction. Overnight, you theoretically double the supply and we can start moving back to where higher ed was. Let me push back on a couple of things. Students really want to be there. They really do. Uh, You know, my, my son really wants to get back. Um, Alex really wants to go somewhere. And so there is some analog, I think within education, analog has, has worked a lot better in uh, K through 12, uh, toddlers, everything, college. Um, it's really important to have, and not just, you know, uh, Dead Poet Society. It's the idea of socialization um, or something. So how do you fit those two together? Do you shift students through a campus? Do you, what, you just expand them? There's got to be, it's not just online to expand it, although that's a great idea too, and they should do more of it. Um, I know MIT has done a lot of that. Um, A lot of colleges have. But what's the real solution if kids, um, if they can make it affordable, can get there, can be there physically, because there is benefit from networking. You, You have to imagine Judge Jackson benefited from being at Harvard. And, and, and the networking that went on and the friendships she developed and the professors she had meaningful relationships with. So answer that question because I, I think it's more important and it's hard to solve for, I guess. So first off, let's distinguish between K through 12 and higher ed. Right. Okay. K through 12, it's my view. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of evidence here. Needs to be in person five days a week. Yeah. And, Seven. Uh, full stop. Seven. And we leverage technology. Uh, you know, we teach them technology, but they are in school, mm-hmm. full stop. Now, now, the the argument that people make that, that you've kind of uh, referenced is that, well, the key to college is socialization and networking and the experience. I 100% agree. And guess what? The, the universities don't say we don't have enough campus lawn or enough socialization to handle additional students. They say we don't have enough tenured faculty and we don't have enough classrooms. Right. So, what you and do housing. is you and expand housing. The, and, housing. and housing, you get rid of this NIMBY bullshit, and also you expand classroom capacity. Because here's the thing, 90% of our faculty, yeah, I know. Kara, are teaching tiny classes because no one's interested in taking their yeah. classes. So you take the courses that people want to I love when you teach. go this way. Go ahead. Shitty classes. Well, okay. Yeah. My, I used to teach 60 kids because the room would only hold 60. Mm-hmm. Now I teach... 300 at NYU, and some of it's online and some of it's in person. And guess what? The socialization, the leadership, kids are really good at scaling, Mm -hmm. beer, unprotected sex, student (laughs) council, football games. 
they scale that really well yeah. on their own. That is not the gating factor here. The excuse, the false flag that administrators and faculty continue to to, to put out there yeah. and that we buy is that we don't have the classrooms and we don't have the faculty. Okay. So get rid of some professors or move them into more popular areas. Then force them to be more accountable. And given that we've raised tuition 1,400%, let's ask that you teach maybe twice as many people. Yeah. The other stuff, the socialization you're talking about, which I agree is hugely important, mm -hmm. will not take any hit whatsoever if occasionally you do a stats class or a history of Greece, or the Ooh. Ellingtonia, the history of Duke and Ellington, which I took at UCLA, some of those sessions can be taken online yeah. to free up the real friction, or what they claim is the friction, and that so is faculty and classrooms. online and the bigger classes. Which one? Yeah. Well, well, here's the thing. I have, I have 36 podium hours for brand strategy, 12 sessions. Take four of those sessions where I'm just lecturing. I'm talking about brand architecture. I can use the help of video. I can use polls. I can actually do really cool things online. Yeah. And look at, look at, take four of the 12 sessions online. And then technically or theoretically, you should be able to expand your supply by 25 or 30%. The kids are still going to get together and make connections and do that, you know, you can take also, advantage of that incredible campus environment. May I say, you can also overbuild on those campuses. Georgetown University used to get criticized because they build on every square inch of their little spot because Georgetown's a real fancy area, right, of Washington. Um, and they used to get criticized. But one of the things they did when I was there was build housing, 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 because uh, they didn't want to keep encroaching. They knew there was a problem, especially because it's one of the more expensive areas of Washington, D.C., and there was a lot of uh, tension between the town and gown. And uh, it, it's, an, it's absolutely, they kept like one lawn thing. And then they built very innovative fields on top of buildings. And at the time, people insulted them. But now I see it is somewhat wise by those Jesuits. They jammed people in there um, so there could have more people at the university. And I remember thinking that was bad at the time. But now I'm thinking, mate. They built ugly buildings. That was one of the issues. Um, but it was an interesting uh, technique. And it was always housing and classrooms they were building, like a lot of them, which was interesting, you know, on every square inch. So. Well, a couple things. One, you mentioned earlier in the program that you're taking your son to Berkeley. Yeah. And you said, well, no one's there. Well, guess what? 20 weeks a year? Yeah. There's no one there. I know. We need to do what Dartmouth does. Dartmouth starts the quarter midsummer. There's yeah. way too much fallow capacity I supply. Agree we don't use. You know, we also need to do a great university needs to open up a campus in the South and say, it's like the Navy SEALs. Right. Anyone could show up, but a lot of you aren't going to make it. Right. Make it just entirely skills-based. There's yeah. all sorts of interesting yeah. things we could do. Two-year programs. Why, Why don't you become dean of the world, Scott? <laughs> of the world? Yeah. 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 Dean yeah, Wormer. There's, there's a line of people who want to support me for that. Yeah. No, I don't think so. No. Yeah. Occasionally, occasionally, I get called to interview for yeah. a, a a deanship, and I say I would be the worst person in the world. Actually, I've gotten some fairly interesting calls. But yeah. what I do is I send them a list of people who are much more talented and much better with people than Dude, me. Where? Give me one. Give me a name. I mean, it's one thing to be asked to interview. I wasn't offered yeah. the job, but I get asked to interview at, at all sorts of schools. Oh. Schools are really trying to embrace innovation. I will say that. Okay. They like the idea, or maybe they just want an innovator to interview so they can say to whoever, we interview uh, this guy. And then they'll get the other guy, the woman, yeah. But schools, I, I've actually been encouraged lately. I think schools do see the issues they and they are trying to address it. But they're there is no reason yeah. why we can't dramatic. 
I mean, Christ, like I said, we can scale Google 24% a year, but we can't scale higher ed more than 1% a year. Right, yeah. You know, there's a lot of issues we're going to have to face around demographics and who gets in and capacity and supply and cost because you know what I'm getting for the first time ever, Kara? I'm getting calls from kids in between their first and second year in business school saying, I'm thinking of dropping out. Wow. This isn't worth 70 grand. I've got a great job. I don't want to go for another nine months. Sam Altman, formerly of Y Combinator and a critic of the college system, proposed an alternative this past weekend on Twitter. Find the smartest, most driven 18-year-olds in the world and give them tenure, say a decade plus of salary, resources, and work at whatever they want, and a smart peer group in exchange for a small percent of future earnings. What do you think of his idea of taking a percent of their earnings? That's sort of like a loan. That's been proposed for a long time. Here, we pay for your education. Feels wrong. And we, you take, give us one or two percent. Oh, it's like the military. My dad did that for the military. Well, you serve for a certain amount of time, though. It's not a percentage of your salary, yeah. right? You just serve for an amount of time. I think, I think, I, I get it. I think it's headed in the wrong direction. I think, I think we need to flip. I think the opportunity is to flip the cost. You have corporate profits at record highs. You have student debt at record highs, which means we need to transfer the cost of higher ed from the students to the corporations. And here's how you do it. Oh, you yeah, say to Google, good. you say to Amazon, you say to Salesforce, 30 kids in my class are going to get offers from Amazon. You say to Amazon, we have an opportunity. That costs you. We have an opportunity for 100 universities, or I'm sorry, 100 corporations. We're going to fast track your ability to get the greatest human capital in the world, but you are going to pay for it. And we we basically pivot the cost from the kids to the corporations. Corporations oh, like should be paying to recruit at these great universities. The, the greatest ROI, mm. the absolutely the key asset of any company isn't artificial intelligence. It isn't technology. It's access to these students. It's, it's access to incredibly well-trained, hardworking human capital that yeah. hasn't collected dogs and kids and is willing to work around the clock for eighty for forty yeah. percent of the of the cost of that forty year old VP and do one hundred and ten percent of the work and add value. This yeah. is the secret sauce. Show me a company that's added ten billion dollars in market cap over the last twelve months. I'll show you a company that recruits incredible young human capital. Let's charge them for it. And it shouldn't just be just the high level, the smartest and most driven. It should be everybody, like you say, you know, when you talk about UCLA, it should be um, plumbing and electrical. And, you know, was one thing I have noticed here is a couple of stores um, are closed parts of the week because they can't get enough employees. And so they're focused on their most profitable times. So they're not open all the time. Um, and that's what they were telling me at this one there's a little ice cream place that makes delicious ice cream here. And they're like, we're only open. We figured out when our most profitable times and busy times were. And we're only open then because we can't get enough staff. Um, and that's where we focus. We do just as well. Um, and that was super interesting to me. Um, but, uh, you know, the ability to uh, attract employees is something everybody at every level um, is uh, struggling with. So. I would agree. Well, especially especially the front line. I was on yeah. a flight um, from Colorado to New York on United Airlines, and yeah. I hadn't flown in a while. Yeah, they have had it. Yeah, it's like I made the mistake of keeping my laptop open while we were on descent, and this guy came over to me, and I thought he was going to take me and my laptop and kick our ass off the plane. Oh. They have had it. Can you yeah. imagine the last two years yeah. frontline workers have had? I if I was a, on the flight attendant with everyone. 
yelling about meth. I they can't did, see that. They did say. I just can't I see that. I mean, I, what you know, airline from hell is that called? Oh my I would, God. I would take super glue and super glue it onto someone's face if they gave me any trouble. Oh God. Anyway, you got a question that. of your own. Uh, if you'd like to answer it, send it our way. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question for the show or call 855-51-PIVOT, which is a great brand, by the way. All right, Scott, mm-hmm. one more quick break. We'll be back for predictions. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for Pivot comes from Hidden Layer. It seems like everywhere you look, industries are turning to generative AI. We talk about it a lot on this show. Businesses can generate more ideas, answers, connections, solutions, and momentum. But at the same time, security teams are forced to slow down that progress so they can make sure AI adoption is safe and responsible. Hidden Layer's AI detection and response platform secures generative AI and large language models from malicious attacks, leaking of confidential information, and intellectual property theft. Hidden Layer helps you generate more by enabling seamless, secure generative AI. Here's how it works. AI detection and response protects businesses from potential attacks by monitoring and analyzing the inputs and outputs of their generative AI applications, blocking harmful transactions and alerting security teams in real time, allowing organizations to accelerate their AI adoption with speed. Customers in finance, technology, healthcare, and even the U.S. Department of Defense trust Hidden Layer to protect their AI today. Plus, Hidden Layer was named Most Innovative Startup at RSA, the most significant cybersecurity conference in the nation. With Hidden Layer, go from pause to possibilities. Generate more with Hidden Layer. Visit hiddenlayer.com slash pivot to learn more about Hidden Layer's AI detection and response solution. So a little behind the music for the fans here. We've spent the last 10 minutes listening to Brenda Vaccaro yell at her family to be quiet. Alex, I hear you. You're like a thundering herd of elephants. Go sit down quietly. It strikes me. You, everyone is so scared of you, except anyone related to you. you yeah. And by the way, is that Casey Newton in the background? You have the no, weirdest, wokest like <laughs> lifestyle. Is Maureen Dowd watering your plants right now? No, she oh, lives in DC. It's Nicholas Kristoff. <laughs> He's here to wash the cars. It's like journalists roaming around your house. Yes, we are very. Uh, we're the Partridge family, is what we are. Okay, Scott, you got to really do a good prediction this week. Beyond streaming, that was last week. That was a good one, though. My prediction. So what's happened at BuzzFeed is basically an Easter parade compared to what's about to happen to private companies all across America. And that is the, 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 
the tail that wags the dog here is the public markets. The public markets have been creamed across growth companies, and every, or not every, 50 to 80% of boards of unicorn companies are asking the CEO for to revise their plan for uh, 2022 and 2023. And they're going to look at the plan, they're going to send it back and say, we need you to make the following tweaks, which is Latin for we need you to lay off people. Oh, wow. Okay. The layoffs at BuzzFeed were actually not that big. I think it was like one and a half percent of the workforce. Yeah. You're going to see mm-hmm. in the next three to, in the next six months, once a week, oh, and yeah. once there's some cloud cover from some from high mm-hmm. flyers that do this, you're going to see layoffs in the hundreds of people uh, at some of these unicorns. They just got way out over their skis. Yeah. And when the market, when VCs and their boards realize, no, we're not worth $3 billion. We're worth $300 million, and we're going to yeah. run out of capital if we yeah. don't tighten. There's going to be some major belt tightening over oh, the next Because okay. um, you've been on your own company months. boards? Is that what's happening on your boards and the companies are on? It depends which company, but every every board right now, especially if a growth company where mm. literally capital is infinite right. and it was just all about growth, is having yeah. to re is having yeah. to really take a hard little nervousness, look. Little nervousness, right? Uh, take a hard look at the numbers. Well Very. when the when your benchmark for what you're worth is off eighty yeah. percent. Yeah, you've got to you've got to recalibrate. It, so it we're going to see it happened to Fox and BuzzFeed. That's a great prediction. I think you're right. I think people at the same time never been more jobs. Unemployment is at a record low. So lots of jobs out there. It's just where they are. Correct. That's what you're that's saying. That's right. Yeah. Will that These, create more startups? Will that create more startups? Your term is the right one. The great reassessment. A lot of people are deciding to start small businesses. And what I would tell the young people, I talk to a lot a lot of young people when they get laid off. I'm like. Don't bring your full self to work. This isn't about you. You're going to get – there's very few people that haven't been laid off at some point in their career. Right. This right. isn't – you know, ask yourself if it was about you. If you were an asshole or distracted or just not very good at this, then you need to learn from that. Otherwise, just mourn for a week and move on. But uh, I've never bought that people bring, should bring their full selves to work. I think that's just such BS. This is – this is an inanimate legal entity that can provide economic security for you. Be loyal to the people there. But if you get laid off, it's likely, it's likely not about you. And it's a great time to start a business. I'm more bullish on entrepreneurship, which creates two-thirds of new jobs than I've ever been. Um, and it's it's supported by the number of new businesses being formed. And the great thing about starting a new business coming out of a time like this is that consumers and businesses are reevaluating how they do business, which lends itself really well to new businesses. They're open to new ideas and new ways of doing businesses and new ways of spending money. So this one of the silver linings coming out of the pandemic is a boom in entrepreneurship. It's very, it's very exciting. Uh, that is a fantastic prediction. One thing I did notice is, as you said, lots of businesses close after they got the, the money from the pandemic money. I've noticed a lot of little businesses opening all of a sudden too in the closed mm-hmm. spaces. Very and new new restaurants. So it's always, you know, it is what it is. And there is renewal at some point. Churn okay. is good. There's certain yep. there's certain yep. pyrolytic plants that only germinate after yep. a fire. Yep, absolutely. Okay, Scott, that's the show. We'll be back on Tuesday with more pivot. I will be in a quieter place. My family's very noisy this morning, very early in San Francisco. I'm not sure why. They usually sleep late. Um, In any case, uh, why don't you read us out, and uh, we'll see you on Tuesday. Today's show is produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Angle, Taylor Griffin, Casey Newton, Amanda Katz, and... 
Kara's 11 million children. Learning Energy Taught engineered this episode. Thanks also to Drew Burrows and Emil Silverio. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back next week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Madeline Albright, Secretary Albright, forceful yet dignified. You go, girl. The Current Podcast is back with an exciting new season featuring marketing executives from the world's most influential brands. Tune in to hear what's driving conversation in the fast-moving world of digital advertising with unique insights from brands as diverse as Hilton, Instacart, Moderna, Major League Soccer, and more. And in this presidential election season, The Current explores what a national political advertiser like the National Republican Senatorial Committee and a major CPG brand like Hershey can learn from each other. Listen in and subscribe to The Current at thecurrent.com or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. High-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.